0: Good morning, precious friends. I'm so glad to be back with you today. We've spent some time on several lessons talking about foundations of an empowered life. What is an empowered life? An empowered life is a life that God can use, that is in tune with God's will, His purposes, and a life that is willing to be used by God. It is a life that is... Uh, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we know that when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, but we go through a process of learning to cooperate with Him. Um, We learn how to listen to Him. We learn what it means to instantly obey Him. And so we've talked about um, the fear of the Lord, We've talked about holiness. We've talked about brokenness. And all of those things are facets of what it is to learn to walk in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I say walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're basically walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit. So once we've experienced brokenness, once we've learned what it is to respond to the nudges of God and to let him call the shots, to do life his way instead of our way, then we learn what it is to walk in the fear of the Lord. And remember that the fear of the Lord is two basic things. It is to stand in awe of him and it is to hate sin. It is to think about sin the way God thinks about sin. God knows how destructive sin is. And we are often deceived by the enemy in thinking that a little sin is okay, it's fun, it's really not going to hurt anybody, but God just sees the destruction of it. And sin of any kind always carries some kind and some degree of destruction. When we're walking in the fear of the Lord, we become aware of the holiness of God, His perfection in every way. And the fact that he says to us, it's not optional, you be holy for I am holy. So God wants us to be like him. He wants us to imitate him. He wants us, he's empowered us with the Holy Spirit to walk in that holiness. Now that doesn't mean we'll never mess up, but it means that he has given us the capacity to walk in his holiness. And just like Isaiah, when we see his Holiness, we're going to see our sin. We're going to see our flaws. We're going to see those places that are unclean. Uh, we're going to begin to notice in the world around us things are uncle- that are unclean. We're going to begin to be sensitive to the difference between what is holy and what is profane. In our language, in what we watch, in what we read, in our relationships, the difference between holy and profane. And because we are walking in the fear of God and we are learning to think of sin the way he thinks it, hate sin the way he hates it, then when we see our sin, then we're going to want to deal with it. And so sin is, like I just said, always destructive and it always um, messes something up. It'll mess up my fellowship with God. It'll mess up my fellowship with other people. And so one of the things that we don't ever want to do is to get caught in what I call undealt with sin, sin that has not been acknowledged before God and cleansed so that everything is right. And one of the processes of doing that, that scripture talks about a lot, is repentance. And that's what I want to talk about some today and probably in the next session too. Many of us are longing and praying for a genuine revival, a genuine spiritual awakening. And it's really interesting to do a little research about great revivals that have taken place in history, throughout church history, throughout the world. Uh, The first great revival, of course, occurred uh, in the book of Acts when 3,000 Jews came to Christ on the day of Pentecost, which would have been about... 33 AD, <clears throat> that was the birthday of the church. And then by the year 300, um, historians tell us that about 14 million people were calling themselves Christians. And then by 500 AD, the number neared 40 million. Now, since the early 1700s, God has brought about a number of of notable revivals in the world. I love reading about them. Um, Since then, since the early 1700s, the first great awakening spread through the American colonies between 1725 and 1760. Those were the days of the great preachers names perhaps you will recognize, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. And at the same time, there was a great Wesleyan revival uh, in England, which had to do with John and Charles Wesley. Um, The second great awakening began in 1801 at the Cambridge camp meeting in Kentucky, where as many as 3,000 were converted. The beginning of the American foreign mission movement came out of that revival. The Welsh revival began in 1904. More than five million people came to Christ as the revival spread throughout the whole world. In 1906, revival came to a mission in a dilapidated building in Los Angeles. It's called the Azusa Street Revival the Great Shantung Revival, Shantung maybe is the right way to pronounce it, took place in China between 1927 and 1937. It is said to have affected all of China. It is said to be one of the greatest revivals in history. There was another great revival in Romania in the 1970s. And as we've been talking about brokenness and fear of the Lord and holiness and seeing our sin as God sees it, as we deal with those things, then we're standing on fertile ground in which the seeds of grace and revival can grow. Those are the foundational things for revival in our country, in our own lives, in our churches, in our communities. And so what's what's the next step um, the common denominator in the history of all of these great revivals uh, was has to do with God's conviction to go to genuine repentance. Genuine repentance is a common denominator in all of the great revivals in history. We've talked about confession of sin and we've said that confession is not my telling God that I've done something. It's agreeing with what God thinks about it. It's agreeing with God's hatred of it. But confession and repentance are partners. It's like two sides of the same coin. And when we exercise confession and repentance, then, um, They bring us into this powerful relationship and fellowship with the Lord God and with other believers who are doing the same thing. The concept of repentance has kind of gotten pushed to the background. Uh, We just don't hear much about repentance uh, these days. And our modern thinking just kind of wants to poo-poo it and push it aside. And of course what the enemy wants is for us to think confession is the big deal and that's all we have to do. But confession and repentance go together. And so what happens, because we're not fulfilling all of these things, because we're not completely confessing and repenting, because we're not completely broken before the Lord, because we're not uh, completely walking in the fear of God, because we're not really um, standing in awe of His holiness and dealing with our sin, then our definition of revival has become diluted and diminished. So many of my uh, growing up years in the southern United States, um, maybe if you grew up in church, you'll recall that we called revival just a series of meetings. When I was very young, we would have two-week revivals. And then they went to one-week revivals. And then they went to two- and three-day revivals. And now we not had one in years. And But it was a series of services that were focused on revival. Now, a lot of evangelism came out of that, but know that the word revival means to revive. It's not to be born the first time. It's to deal with the born that's already in you. It's to deal with the fact that you've been born again. Usually they'd have a traveling evangelist and uh, there'd be a minister and there would be a zealous revival choir and People would feel energized, but so often it wound up just being kind of a pep rally to encourage us to go ahead and do what we were always doing. Well, the whole concept of repentance is we're going to do something differently. There's a change that's going to play place. And so then in those growing up years, what we called revival in those church meetings, it happened every six months, maybe uh, once a year, but then it just stopped. And I do remember a couple of seasons in my lifetime as a very young person in my community where we did have a genuine revival. And you saw, you knew people whose lives had been gloriously changed by a move of God. When you read the history of these Other great revivals that I've talked about, you know, what you see are are whole countries that have been moved and changed by God. There were such lifestyle changes that some businesses had to be shut down. Um, That needs to happen today in America. It needs to happen where I am, you know. And so why, why did not more come out of these meetings? Why, why did this happen this way? How can we just get pumped and, and nothing happened? It's because the power comes when we choose to deal with our sin. And we're living in a culture, and we're living now with churches that have, have absorbed um, some ways of the world that just think, uh, God's okay about this. The church is okay about this. It's okay to keep on doing this. It's not hurting anything. Well, yes, it is. Every child of God who is seeking after him with a whole heart must realize that repentance is not an option. It is a command. It is a requirement. It is a part of the life of a believer. Well, what is it? What is repentance? It is the act of forsaking known sin and obeying what God says. Stopping one thing doing what God says. It's the act of returning to the Lord. Uh, In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7, God says, return to me and I will return to you. So you see there's a separation there when we walk away from the Lord, when we're not dealing with our sin. It is a crucial step for all of us who are longing for and seeking genuine revival. Repentance is foundational. It's the common denominator. It's the key. The Bible is full of calls to repent. Um, The Old Testament is full of God sending messengers to Judah and Israel as they repeatedly strayed from the Lord. They'd follow the Lord for a while and then fall back, follow the Lord for a while and then fall back. That's often the pattern of so many of our lives, even those of us who are in church. And so the message through the Old Testament was repent, repent, repent. The theme of the book of Jeremiah is return, 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 which is the same thing, repent. CHANGE YOUR WAYS, COME BACK, RETURN TO GOD, SO THAT HE CAN RETURN TO US. THE SAME MESSAGE IS PROMINENT IN THE NEW TESTAMENT. JOHN THE BAPTIST PREACHED, REPENT FOR THE KINGDOM OF HEAVEN IS AT HAND. THE LORD JESUS HIMSELF PREACHED, GUESS WHAT, REPENT FOR THE KINGDOM OF HEAVEN IS, is AT HAND. Um, I LOVE STUDYING THE LETTERS TO THE SEVEN CHURCHES in the beginning of the book of Revelation. Uh, And in those seven churches, Jesus is speaking to them and he tells five of the churches to repent, repent. How often does a person need to repent? How often does a person need to repent to be in a right fellowship, a right relationship with God? Or repent is another one of those words that happens in different verb tenses in the Bible. It's one of those words that happens at one point in time, at the time a person believes in Christ for salvation. That happens at one point in time, there is an initial changing of our minds to come to Christ. That is an intentional saying, I'm not going to go my way anymore. I'm going to do God's way now. And so that one-time repentance sets in motion the need for a lifestyle of repentance. So what we have here in verb tense is there is a repent that is aorist tense that is one point in time. You did it when you got saved. It was a decision that you made. But then that is followed by a present tense ongoing repentance lifestyle, which means I'm gonna think that way and do that all the time. I'm going to follow through with it. So to become a Christian, we don't hear this enough today. To become a Christian, a person must repent. You can't just believe and go on living the way you've always lived. That's not true salvation. To become a Christian, a person has got to repent. That means we turn away from our old way of life and turn to Christ. FOR FORGIVENESS AND SALVATION. AND WHEN WE RETURN turn TO CHRIST, HE TRANSFORMS US. HE MAKES US TOTALLY NEW. HE MAKES US DIFFERENT. HE GIVES US A NEW HEART. IT IS A RADICAL CHANGE WHEN WE GET SAVED. IT IS GOD'S WORK IN US. WE COOPERATE WITH GOD BY COMING TO HIM, BUT THEN HE DOES A WORK IN US THAT TOTALLY TRANSFORMS US but repentance does not end there. An attitude of repentance is needed in our ongoing relationship with God. It's going to be a way that I think. It's going to be a part of my lifestyle. Now, remember, and perhaps we don't have to be reminded, that Christians are tempted to sin all the time. Sometimes we choose to do it. You know, sometimes the enemy is able to convince us that it's an all right thing to do. So even though we've been given a new nature, we're still in this world. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin, but we still have to deal with the presence of sin and the power of sin in the world and in our lives and its ability to convince us to join the enemy in his attack against God and God's people. So understand this. Let's get this in our minds. Before sin becomes an act, it is first a thought. Before sin becomes an act, it is first a thought. That thought is what we sometimes call being tempted. It happens first in our minds. It is in that moment, in that moment of temptation, we need to call out to God for deliverance from temptation. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, deliver "Deliver us from evil. It's kind of the same thing. Once we're aware that there is a sinful thought that is a temptation in our minds, then we need to deal with it before the Lord at that moment. If we allow that thought to continue, if we engage that thought and we give it space and we dwell on it, we're likely going to do it. We're likely going to do it. I use sometimes in our Sunday school class, um, I'm, a, I'm a weakling for hot fudge Sundays, And I can determine that I'm not going to eat a hot fudge Sunday uh, for a period of time and maybe I haven't even thought about one, but here comes a television commercial with guess what, a hot fudge sundae and they show all this chocolate flowing down. And when I've never thought about a hot fudge sundae in a long time, guess what? It gets on my mind. And if I let it stay on my mind, if I continue to dwell, if I continue to think about that chocolate flowing down, that ice cream, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go get one. That's the way it is with sin. You know, if when we allow that thought to continue, if we continue to entertain that thought and give it space, then most likely we're going to give in to that temptation. When we sin, The Holy Spirit, and I'm talking to believers here pretty much right now, but the Holy Spirit that's in us convicts us. That is an internal call to stop it, to turn around, to change directions, to deal with it in this moment, to change our thinking, because where did it begin? It began in my heart. Thought life. It began in my mind. That's where sometimes the enemy will shoot an arrow of a thought into our minds. All thoughts are not your thoughts. A lot of them are, but sometimes, boing, your mind becomes a target for the enemy and he will shoot those thoughts into your mind. So, just like sin begins in our minds as a temptation repentance begins in our minds as the Holy Spirit brings conviction so my first temptation to sin is in my mind and then I have to decide in my mind to repent of that sin immediately say I'm not going to entertain this thought I'm not doing this so the mind is crucial because the mind is a battlefield it's a battlefield Matthew Twenty two thirty seven. In fact, there, there are lots of scriptures uh, that show up the mind. And uh, in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Jesus said, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. With all your mind. How do we love the Lord with our minds? <clears throat> what does it mean to love the Lord our God with all of our heart?" all of our soul and all of our minds. Look with me just for a minute at Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read the first two verses. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and Holy, there's the word, living in holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or rational service. It makes sense to do that. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, literally be metamorphosized. It's like a a cocoon becoming a butterfly. That's the transformation. Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we first respond to spiritual matters with our minds, with our minds. Renewing the mind, when he says here, renew your mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, renewing the mind involves training it to recognize temptation. It is disciplining disciplining it (laughs) to dismiss the thought and responding immediately to the Holy Spirit's conviction. It's dealing with it the moment it comes into your mind. Dealing with it right then instead of letting it dwell there, instead of letting it go on and on. Okay, so repentance begins with a change of mind, but it doesn't stop there. I don't just change my mind. It's not just repentance. It's not just feeling sorry for my sin. Uh, It certainly is not just feeling sorry that I got caught. Um, It's not just telling God I did it and saying I'm sorry and going on. John the Baptist warned the people in Matthew 3, 8. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So repentance is something we're going to do. It's something that's going to show up in our behavior. True repentance, true repentance is seen by a change of behavior. A change of behavior. If repentance is real, it's gonna show up in our lives. It's gonna be there. Charles Spurgeon said, "'Repentance is to leave the sin we loved before And show that we in earnest grieve by doing it no more. When I hate sin the way God hates sin, I don't want to do it. There are some foods I don't have any trouble not eating because I don't like them. I could say that I hate them. And so I'm not tempted by those foods because I, I don't like them kind of gets to be that way here. When I pray to God to give me the fear of God in my life so that I see sin the way he sees it, so that I see its destructive patterns, that I see what it did to Christ, that I see what it's doing to the fellowship of believers, that I see what it's doing to families. Once I begin to see all that, I don't want any part of that stuff. I don't want it in my home, I don't want it close to me, I don't want it touching me. And so I go to God and I say, give me your thought, give me your vision for what this sin looks like to you. And a great prayer is when I go to him and say, show me what my heart looks like to you. Where are those things in my heart? Where are those things in my behavior that are making you sad, that are making you grieve? What are those things I'm doing that you hate? And help me, give me the fear of God so that I will hate them the way you hate them. That's the way we walk in holiness. And so there's going to be outward evidence of repentance. But now listen to me, listen to me immediately. Quickly. All repentance is not always instantaneous. You may be caught in a trap. You may be caught in the bondage of some habitual sin that it's just hard to stop like that. You have difficulty stopping like that. So sometimes repentance may be seen over time. The nature of sin and the length of time we've been involved in it may affect real change. But sooner or later... Sooner or later, the change is going to be seen in our behavior. And if it's never seen, it's because I never truly repented to start with. True repentance influences behavior. True repentance influences behavior. All right, so repentance is a change of mind that results in a change. Of behavior. That's why confession and repentance go together. Confession is when I, in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, agree with God about the sin. And I see it the way God sees it, and I begin to hate it the way God hates it. But I don't just stop there. I've got to stop doing it. It's got to show up in my behavior. God's call to repentance, and it's full of Scripture, it's with us all the time. I guess it's what's scary to me about me and maybe um, lukewarm churches is the fact that, have we gotten to the place where we don't recognize it? Have we gotten to the place where hmm, we don't really know it or the conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't really catch our attention? Is that what's happened to us? It can. As our hearts become hard But God's calling us to repentance, and that call may not be an easy or pleasant experience. God can call us to repentance. If you look all through Scripture, it calls to repentance. We see that He calls us to repentance in different ways. Sometimes He uses our own conscience to convict us so that we're just miserable in our hearts, in our our inside cells uh, about what we've done. But sometimes He may allow us to get caught. And sometimes he may send another believer to rebuke us. And sometimes he may bring judgment against that sin, a chastisement, a spanking from God. They're not pleasant. I've had them. But here's what we can be sure of. Number one, the best time for us to respond to God is at the moment of conviction at the moment of conviction. Now, what's going to happen to us when we're convicted, especially if we kind of like the sin, you know, those pet sins that we've kind of got that we'd like to hold on that we think God, we really need for him to be all right about, or hope he is all right about it, but no, we live under grace, so we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. See, all of that is the enemy's involvement in our thinking. But the best time to respond for God is at the moment of conviction. And so We sometimes want to put it off, or we want to blame somebody else. But to delay confession and repentance is to resist the Holy Spirit. It's to grieve Him. It's to quench the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you what, the longer we wait to deal with it, the harder it gets. The longer we wait to deal with it, the harder it gets. And our hearts get hard and we get comfortable with that sin. We get acclimated to it. We've gotten acclimated to sin in our churches. Sadly, if we look at it and tell the truth, sometimes church has become a safe place to sin because nobody wants to bring it up. Number two. God will give us the grace to do whatever He tells us to do. Grace is the desire and the ability to do God's will. And He's going to give us the grace to do whatever it is He tells us to do. So matter no matter how deep the sin, no matter how long we've been involved in the sin, no matter how long we may have been in bondage to a sin, God can and will deliver us by his grace. He waits for us to cooperate with him. He waits for us to respond to him. He waits for us to reach out to him. Why does he do that? Because he is a God of love and mercy and kindness. And so God reveals sin in our lives to begin with to keep us from the destruction of it. Remember that there is always destruction attached to sin. Something dies. There's some kind of destruction. And so his reason, his purpose in sending Christ is to set us free from that. And so as he sets us free, we don't want to hold on to some bondage that God is working to set us free from because he knows it's going to hurt us you've got a young child that's about to run across the road in front of traffic, what are you going to do? You're going to grab him and pull him back. He may think you've done something terrible to him because that's where he wanted to go, but you grab him and pull him back. Why? Because you're protecting him. And God's discipline in our lives is to protect us, to set us free. So immediate, immediate confession of sin is the beginning of the path to holy and powerful and victorious living. When we have unconfessed, undealt with sin, when we've just had that filth, that dirt just hanging around in our lives, something in our lives is not going to work right. It's not going to work right. Things are not going to come together right. And God is going to do whatever is necessary to restore us to that place that he died to give us. He's going to do it. He will not leave us in sin without giving us an opportunity to repent. Now, when I continue to refuse to repent, things can sometimes get really serious. Either I'm not really saved because it doesn't bother me. See, when, you're, when you become saved, sin's going to bother you when you are a Christian. But let's just say that I'm able to continue in sin, uh, you know, and that I'm, I'm holding on to some sin that maybe was in my life before I'm saved and I'm continuing to hold on to it and then I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. But in that process, my heart's getting hard. And I think that's how we've gotten to the place where sin is all around us and we don't always notice it. That's what happens when we become acclimated to sin. And it is devastating to the body of Christ. It is devastating to the testimony of Christ in the world. It is devastating to our power in prayer, to our relationship with God. You know, our goal, our goal as believers has got to be that we will live a lifestyle of repentance, where I'm constantly dealing with my sin. You know how during this pandemic, we've been washing our hands a lot. Every time you turn around, you need to wash your hands, put some sanitizer on your hands. Every time you touch something, you need to put sanitizer on your hands. When you get home, you need to wash your hands with soap for 20 seconds. Why? Keep them clean. Keep them free from contamination. That's the same lifestyle that we have in walking in Repentance. Whenever something comes to my mind or somebody pulls out in front of me in a car and I have a bad thought, what am I going to do? I just immediately say to the Lord, I should not, please forgive me for thinking that. Cleanse me of that thought. Cleanse me of that incident, that event, so that I continually walk clean. The Smith is a lady I've, I've read. A lot of her stuff there's not a lot of it but there's more today because some of her messages are now on the internet and bertha smith was one of the missionaries in the great shantung revival and she's written two books and i think they're very difficult to find out of print go home and tell and how the holy spirit filled my life And in those books, she talks some about how the great Shantung revival began. And it started when a group of missionaries began to feel conviction and they began to confess their sins to one another and repent. And they weren't sins of adultery and all the kinds of, you know, they weren't those blatant sins that we think of. They were sins of attitude. They were sins of jealousy in the ministry. Uh, Maybe they were sins of carelessness, sins of failure to be in God's Word, those sins. And when the missionaries, when the church leadership there started dealing with sin on a regular basis, they started walking clean, then revival broke out that changed China. Later she came back to the United States and I had a very dear pastor friend to tell me one time, she lived in South Carolina and this pastor friend of mine was from South Carolina and you know, a lot of pastors would line up to go to, to, to Bertha Smith for counseling, um, for correction. And what I was told was that every time any pastor, anybody, went to Bertha Smith for counseling, her first question always was, are all of your sins confessed up to date? And if the answer was no, she gave them some time to go get it dealt with. Then that is when God can deal with us. That's when we can hear Him. That's when we can respond to Him. So We want to maintain this posture of humility and biblical brokenness so that we're constantly dealing with our sin, not everybody else's. Let me tell you something else, that I see it, I know it, I see it in me, we see it every day, we've got to deal with this. Most of us are of the opinion that somebody else's sin is worse than mine. Well, God has not given me the assignment of dealing with somebody else's sin. God's given me the assignment of dealing with my sin, my very own sin. And when I do that, when I walk a lifestyle with that, of that, then it's going to restore us for a right fellowship with God. And when that happens, our lives are going to glorify Him. Our testimonies are going to be credible. You know, it, it, it hurts my heart to see a person one day um, giving out the plan of salvation and then the next day just raking somebody over the coals like the devil himself. Those things don't go together. And so we've got to walk with God so that we hear what he's saying to us, so that he can keep us clean. We cooperate with him. And we become credible, powerful believers who feel credible, powerful churches, and we're going to have power in prayer, and we're going to know God's peace. So if I'm going to live a lifestyle of repentance, what is the first thing I'm going to do? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to be in God's Word so that I will consistently be renewing my mind. And as we read God's Word, He's going to reveal, and I'm going to look at that, and i may run across the phrase and say, ooh, I do, I do that. God's Word is a mirror, and we begin to see those things in ourselves. And then when I see that, I'm going to respond to God immediately. I'm not going to think, well, you know, I need to think about this. Uh, Maybe I could do this a few more times and God would be all right about it. Listen, the moment he convicts me, I need to agree with him about what he said. And if it's a sin that I've not yet learned to hate, if it's a sin that I still kind of like, then what do I do? I'm going to ask him, give me your heart, your mind for this sin. Let me hate this sin the way you do. We don't want to have a a longing look back at the sin. We don't want to cast a longing look. Remember what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back. And we don't want to look back and see that sin. But we want to stay focused on the Lord and let Him deal with us. And we immediately respond by dealing with Him. We must not gauge our commitment and our obedience by what other people are doing. We hear that, don't we? Well, so and so's in the church. Whew. He or she's a leader in the church. I'm, I'm as good as she. I'm as good as she is. I, I, I don't do anything he doesn't do. Uh-uh. The plumb line is the perfect holiness of the Lord God. That's what we're measured by. And so we've got to understand that sin has consequences. Let me just close with a few questions we might want to ask ourselves before the Lord. First one is, does sin in my life bother me? Am I aware of sin in my life, and does it bother me? If it doesn't bother me, there's a serious problem going on somewhere. If I can name the name of Christ and live in adultery without being miserable, there's a serious problem. And we could go on and on. Second thing I can ask myself is, am I willing to call my wrong actions sin rather than what worldly terms God uses? I mean, what terms the world uses for it when God calls it sin? Let's use the word sin. It's what it is. It's what He says. Third question is, am I concerned about grieving God? Does it matter to me that my behavior or my attitude grieves him? Next one, am I willing to take personal responsibility for my actions without blaming someone or something else? Just say, I did it. And don't say, I did it, but I did it. And that's the end of it. When needed, am I willing to make restitution for my sin? We'll talk about that another time, but if I stole something from somebody, I need to take it back. I need to deal with it. I need to ask the Lord to show me in His wisdom the best way to make restitution for that sin. And the next question is, has God convicted me of any sins that I've never truly repented of, that I'm holding on to. Have I been walking? Have I been doing a lot of good things and really, really active with the Lord and and I'm in the Word, but there are just some sins that He's convicted me of that I just still kind of hold on to, that maybe I don't know how or I don't want to let them go. Sometimes we may need to have another believer to whom we can be accountable, uh, someone we can trust to help us um, in creating new patterns of behavior. We just need to talk it out with another mature believer if I'm trying to quit something. Maybe I need to search my heart to see how long it's been since I have felt any conviction at all. That's a scary thought that our hearts, our hearts can become hard enough that we just don't notice. Don't notice God's conviction. A man named Jim Elif said, Repentance is hating what you once loved and loving what you once hated. If God is speaking to you, the time to respond is now. Could we decide together to allow God to begin to restore us, to begin to restore his church, to begin to make his word and his people powerful in his name for his glory and his purpose in this world again? In repentance, God has a part and we have a part. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for sin. It's doing something about it. Let's pray. Father, we need your help with this. We need your understanding, but we also need for you to put in our hearts the desire to deal with it. I pray that we will be believers who understand our brokenness and understand what Christ did for us at the cross so that if someone else needs to confess a sin to us, we don't look down our noses at them, but we know because we've been there and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So we can give out information, but it is by the power of your spirit that hearts are changed and that people understand. And I pray that your name Will be glorified with this, and that we will begin to see a genuine spiritual awakening where you take capsized boats and turn them right side up. Fix us and let us walk in the joy and the power that Christ died to give us. I pray in the almighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.